0: Hey there, players. I'm Scott Silver. I've spent the last quarter century as a real estate attorney and as an investor. I've met a lot of great people along the way, and I can't wait to introduce you to them. These are the specialists. They're the people that do one special thing. And I'm going to find out exactly what they do and how they and others in their profession can help you succeed in real estate. Some of them provide a service that you'll need on every real estate deal. Others, you'll hope you'll never need, but when you do need them, you'll be glad you know they exist and you heard about them here. So welcome, welcome to Real Estate. What's the deal? The podcast that shines a light on the service professionals without whom commercial real estate deals wouldn't happen. So what's the deal with escrow? I have here with me today, Robert Minsky who runs the um, probably the greatest escrow company in the country. Definitely the most storied, maybe one of the oldest. I can recall it's the first escrow company I ever heard of when I uh, graduated law school and started doing real estate in L.A. Someone told me, uh, I said, what do you mean? Well, how do I open escrow? And they said, call Mark Minsky. (laughs) And uh, I heard that a lot over the years, call Mark Minsky. But we're here with Robert Minsky. So, Robert, uh, who who was Mark Minsky? Thanks,
1: Scott. That was uh, quite an introduction. I don't know if I can live up to that, but uh, yeah, no. Mark Minsky was was my father. He and his partner Phil Graff started Commerce Escrow uh, in
0: 1980. I remember asking someone about why why there are escrows on the West Coast, and it was explained to me that this may be true or not, but that. Uh, Because of the gold prospecting and all of the transient people moving into the West, there was a lot greater distrust and a lot more um, scammers. And so uh, you couldn't even trust lawyers necessarily in the Wild West. And so they needed trusted third parties who had no skin in the game as to whether a deal closed or not.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I know I've asked a few different people and, and nobody really can pinpoint how that developed, where it started from. So if you find out, let me know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're gonna have to look a little bit more into that history. I think um, the thing that has always blown me away whenever I've gone into an escrow office and seen, seen it is just the sheer amount of paperwork uh, that's flying around. And I know you know, escrow officers that have a lot of work usually have a number of assistants to deal with it, but how much has, that remain, that there's still a lot of paper, or um, is it more electronic, and and how do you guys just deal with the volume and keeping everything so organized? Is there, like, someone at your firm that's just, like, uh, in charge of just that, like, filing systems and document retention and all that? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think think we're one of the few remaining industries that uh, deals with so much actual paper But it it has lessened a lot over the years. Um, We are doing a lot more digital now. We're storing things more digitally now. You know, specifically document retention. We have to retain our our documents for five years. So the files we have to hold for five years, and then we can destroy them after that period of time. Where, you know, just a couple years ago, we were actually holding physical paper files for five years. And you can imagine um, how many boxes uh, that took and how many rooms it filled up. But we've actually over the last couple of years now, we're 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 straight digital now on our on our archiving. So any physical files that we have at the closing are actually fully uh, archived now uh, digitally.
0: So everything, all the closing documents are scanned and then shredded. So you're no longer paying for storage space.
1: Yeah, that's correct. And and we that is is dealt out to a third party company um, that handles that for us. And also, it's what the title companies do. It's all kind of this one industry where where There's specific companies that that's all they do is archive physical files for for clients.
0: Are they saved with a cloud system? With a bag? What's the technology behind where everything is?
1: It's all in a cloud. It's all you know. It's got all the fancy technology for security. The company we actually use, uh, the government uses. The archive documents as well which is you know one of the good things about being with the bank is that they have to go through so many different departments to approve any sort of document retention where where you know private information stored where before when we we're an individual company it used to that would fall on me to make sure but now i can i can load it off to experts at the bank whose sole job is to figure out to make sure the security is sufficient enough
0: are you aware of any security breaches with, with escrow, uh, any escrow companies having, you know, their cloud documents act into?
1: Not that I'm aware of, but I don't think
0: that they, I don't think they'd want that to get out if they were. Right. If it happened, the company would probably keep it secret, right?
1: Right. Yeah. yeah but I haven't, um, I haven't heard of any, anybody doing that. And then in terms of just our our regular physical files on a daily basis, there's still a lot of paperwork. You know, we deal with a lot of original documents that that have to be sent to title companies or have to get recorded or have to get circulated at closing to the parties. So I don't think there's ever going to be uh, or any time in the near future where we're going to be full digital um, unless we get to a point where everybody in the industry is going to be satisfied with digitally Signing documents—that's um, the only way we, we would be able to go full digital. But you know, even like loan documents, we have to print those, send them to the clients because um, those have to be hand signed. So there's a lot of hand signed documents we have to deal with, which is, necessitates the need for us to still have a lot of paper in
0: our files. Has um, Los Angeles County gone to any sort of electronic recording system where the title companies are recording from their computers like scan documents or is it still hard copies going to the recorder?
1: I think COVID has pushed LA County to actually get more in touch with uh, future technology because they've been the holdout out of of all the counties that are still doing um, actual documents that have to be given to them at the counter to record. But in the last year, um their e-recording has been pushed a lot farther um it's not it's still not great but it is better than where it used to be where you know there was no way to e-record before but now we can still send documents down as long as it's 8 a.m that day to e-record but if you take like other counties you can e-record throughout the day but la county's not doing that for whatever reason
0: so uh, are there um any Uh, efficiencies that you can think of that have developed over the past few years as far as when I as a lawyer am closing a real estate deal I mean, I feel like I used to have to send in all originals. Is it is it now that you guys can accept more uh, scanned signatures, docu signed, and the only thing that you have to have original is the um, documents that are being recorded? For for example, I remember the preliminary uh, change of ownership form. I think you used to have the orig- have to have the original. As you feel like things have lessened in that regard.
1: The preliminary change of ownership report, you still need an original signature for for the county, Uh, just like the grant deed. It's got to be original. It goes to the county. Um, Even though you record, uh, it's still an original. It has to be sent in. Um, But other than that, you know, the nice thing about (laughs) the one plus two with with escrow holders, we're governed by mutual instructions. So if the attorneys tell us, hey, we're fine with uh, the closing documents other than what needs to be recorded, being digitally signed or PDFs and you close in on PDFs or or digitally signed documents, then that's fine with us too. And that's great because it makes it easier for everybody rather than having to run around and and get messengers and and overnights. And, um, you know, especially during COVID right now, you know, people can just
0: email the documents over and, and everybody's good and it's a lot quicker and faster. Right. Have you ever had someone show up to make a good faith deposit on a deal in cash or in gold or in anything? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been lots of times I haven't seen gold. That would be a very interesting one. Boy,
1: um, but there's lots of times where the clients will show up, well, not show up, but they'll call us and say, hey, can I make my deposit in cash? And we tell them no.
0: What's the largest cash deposit that you've heard about from back in the day, maybe from your dad? Uh, were there were there days when people would bring in 100 grand in cash? We would still even back in the day, we would not be involved in the exchange of cash. If, they, if the clients
1: wanted to exchange cash, they would do that between themselves. And then they they would tell us about it, you know, like, hey, this is a paid outside of closing. Don't worry about collecting this amount. We've handled it between ourselves. So we, we know that there have been deals where cash has been exchanged, but we, we don't facilitate ourselves in that process simply because if we did, then, then it would also require uh, our bank being involved to sit there and audit all of the money being in t- in taken and doing the accounting of it. And, and it's just a whole big process if we're involved in the exchange of cash. But we
0: definitely know that people do exchange cash um, between themselves uh, from time to time. As a, as a landlord, I asked, uh, No, I'm sorry. It was was on a purchase and sale. I asked uh, a buyer to show proof of funds, and they took a picture with their iPhone of a pile of money piled up on a mattress. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. They said, here's my proof of funds. That was pretty funny. Yeah. How do we know that's uh, your picture? You could have pulled that off the Internet. Yeah. So um, speaking of deposits, how often do you see fights over... Deposits, broken deals, where where that comes up, and how often do you see it? And would you say that's the majority of the disputes that, that you're seen?
1: Yeah, I would say it comes up quite a bit. You know, either either it's a a buyer who uh, waived contingencies and can't close now, uh, and the seller wants the deposit, or if it's a buyer that wants to cancel uh, within his contingency period, but the seller doesn't agree that the buyer. Uh, is disapproving uh, an applicable contingency. Um, yeah, no, it happens quite a bit. Um, and honestly, that's probably the number one conflict that we see as an escrow holder is uh, deposit disputes. You know, one thing that's, that's, Hugely important for everybody, then they don't realize necessarily, especially when you're new to real estate, is that you know we can't just disperse money off of one party telling us, hey, this person's default. They owe me the deposit under the contract. Well, if the other party comes back and says, no, I disagree, we're stuck as an escrow holder. That's like, you know, the golden rule. We're governed by mutual instructions. So anytime there is a dispute, what what normally happens is is we just kind of sit and wait until the parties come to an agreement on it or they go to arbitration, or they they file suit against each other. You know, there are times where it gets to a point where we just don't want to have anything to do with, with what's going on because it's getting too nasty between the two, and, and we can interplete the funds as well to the court. And we say, hey, court, you decide, you know, how this gets divvied up. Um, so that happens from time to time as well. But um, most of the time, the parties eventually come to some sort of agreement and, and give us mutual instructions to
0: disperse. And when you do an interpleader, do you actually send the money to the court or do you just ask the court to rule on it and you're holding the funds in the meantime?
1: Yeah, no, the money goes to the court. So the process is that we send the money to our our attorney's trust account and it's held there until they can disperse it to the court.
0: So it sits with the court. Oh, okay. I used to try. Sometimes I'd be frustrated um, on, on just this aspect where I would have, you know, a very clear situation for let's say for a client where a buyer had waived all contingencies and they failed to close and I found that if my client tried to keep the deposit and cancel escrow, like you said, usually the buyer would kick and scream for some reason and, you know, the escrow officer wouldn't move and it never happened. So then I remember many years ago I started drafting into my contracts that the parties pre agreed that if you got in that situation that on the seller's instruction alone that escrow would release the funds and then of course if the buyer wanted to challenge it the buyer could always sue the seller after the fact and say seller you weren't entitled to it but at least the parties pre-agreed that escrow would act on the instruction of seller alone. Do you know if that um, would be acceptable to an escrow company and they'd follow it? I think I remember some escrow officers saying, we understand what you wrote, but we just won't do it. We're afraid of getting caught in between. What's your stance on that?
1: Every escrow company is gonna be different in terms of what they wanna take on as risk. When I see a clause like that, um, the only way that I would operate under it is if both sides are represented by counsel. And we I also have specific unilateral language that I insert into our instructions to supplement whatever paragraph the attorneys have put in there um, that will indemnify us in case any of the parties break the mutuality of that agreement that they've already signed off on. It's very limited when I will actually uh, agree to act on a unilateral uh, instruction that you mentioned, because most of the time, either... If they are represented by counsel, the buyer's attorney is going to advise his client not to sign that, you know, because they want to maintain their position. But if they're represented by counsel, and I feel that these are sophisticated real estate investors, we'll go ahead and agree to do it. But it's it's a very, very fine line you have to walk when you're dealing with, with an instruction like that, because, it, you know, you can get caught in the middle, and as an escrow holder, we're making small fees compared to what everybody else is making on the deal. And it's not worth it for us to get caught in, in, in a lawsuit where we have to shell out attorney's fees over something that, we, you know, we're, we're just stuck in the middle. So
0: so on a related issue, uh, do you still see a lot of escrows where deposits are released uh, when buyers waive contingencies? Yep, very common. What percentage of, of transactions would you guesstimate?
1: You know, maybe... Thirty-five percent of the deals, if I had to make a real rough guess, thirty-five, um, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, you know, typically it happens on on the larger commercial industrial stuff. You know, where the deposit gets released, and uh, so it's it's a pretty common thing.
0: Let's switch gears and talk about escrow fees. Are escrow fees regulated in California or are they freely negotiable? Uh,
1: They're negotiable um, with the exception of the the insurance companies, the title insurance companies, because they're regulated by the commissioner, insurance commissioner. Um, And I I believe that for residential, they have to publish and record their fees. uh, But the commercial industrial side is is less regulated. But then for independent escrow companies as well, it's, it's, it's not regulated. So it's, it's negotiable and it's really it, it's governed by the marketplace really I mean and the title companies drive a lot of that you know because a lot of times you've got to match what the title company is charging which is very low and so it's really a, a thing where the marketplace governs what you charge you know you got to stay competitive
0: and, and relative to what the peers are charging in the industry so would you say that um, escrow companies that are owned by title companies and affiliated with title companies do they sort of um try and keep their fees low because they want to get both the escrow and the title so that because probably it's a big profit source to sell the title insurance. So you guys sort of need to compete with, with their fees.
1: That's accurate. The the title fees are really the title company's bread and butter, right? So if they can grab both, it's just kind of an added bonus for them to get the escrow fees uh, which is why they don't charge as much because it's more important for them to grab the title fees. And if you're doing title with them, you know, more than likely the clients just think it's easier to deal with also their in house escrow. Um, now, of course, the difference is the service, the relationship, all that stuff, and, and volume wise, what the title companies are pushing. So that's where that competition comes in, though, is, is with the title companies on the fees.
0: So you would say the experience going to, uh, going to you folks, for example, how would you compare that to uh, escrow companies associated with title? I mean, what you were saying about relationship and stuff. Can you describe that to me? From what I've been told
1: is, you know, from our commercial clients is, is they just, they don't get callbacks. They don't know what's going on. There's no communication. Um, they're not able to go outside of their comfort zone to find a way to get a deal done. Um, they're very set by their, their rules in place and they don't, they don't veer away from that at all, where we have more flexibility for, for, and that's why I think a lot of attorneys will use us as well Is, you know, someone will send me something that on the outside looks very complicated because it's outside of the norm from what a title company escrow holder might handle. Um, but you know, I can read it, break it down and, and find a way to put the puzzle together and say, okay, we can handle this. This is how we'll, we'll go ahead and, and do it. And so it's that relationship to, to, to find a way to get a deal done for, for the clients. You know, I could say just firsthand experience. I closed a refi. I refied my house uh, not too long ago. I didn't have one person contact me from, from the escrow uh, at the title company. It was all in-house because I figured, you know, it's just easier to let the lender deal with it. Not one communication at all from the escrow officer. Um, nobody told me my like, deal was closed. Nobody told me my, uh, the check was coming or anything like that. Uh, and, and it just goes to show you that's a prime example of what you get with, with the title companies because they're dealing with bulk. You know, it's just, it's one deal after another, and it's coming in from outside sources, not relationships that they've built. Um, now, of course, there's exceptions to that. Um, there are a lot of good escrow officers at, at title companies here in LA, um, who've built relationships up. So there's always an exception, but for the, for the most part, that's, that's the general rule of thumb you get with a title company, it's
0: Talking about escrow fees, I feel like every escrow instructions and every purchase agreement talks about cancellation fees. I think I've only seen one escrow company try and charge them in in my 20-some years where an escrow was canceled prior to the contingency period. Uh, yeah, just like once. And I think I told the escrow officer, like, I've never seen someone actually ch- try and charge a, can- a cancellation fee, and then they withdrew it. What What is the deal with that?
1: I can speak to just us with our, with our policy. We have it in there. You know, if it's good clients, uh, you know, it's people we work with quite a bit. And I would say probably, honestly, 99% of the time, we, we likely don't charge a cancellation fee. Really, the only time we charge is if we've done a lot of work on the file. Um, you know, we've incurred a lot of fees ourselves with messengers to all different principles, um, requests and reports. You know, we could request cancellation just to reimburse for a report that we ordered. But it's, it's pretty rare where, where, where we actually will uh, collect a cancellation fee provided, you know, there hasn't been a lot of work that we've entailed into the file or, or um, fees that we've incurred ourselves.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I've not seen it uh, much. I mean, I would think if a transaction gets busted, you know, right, right before the closing, then, you know, the escrow fee should be earned.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the cost of doing business, you know, where, where if the deal gets a bust, then, you know, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Do you have any advice for uh, principals or lawyers about how to better use the escrow company um, you know, during transactions? Is, is there anything that escrow officers like, what are the, what are the pet peeves and the things that uh, you should not do? I'd imagine like calling all the time. Waiting for the last minute to get us all of our documents. That that's a big pet peeve. You know, we'll send documents out at
1: the opening, and then we get ready for the closing, and there's some document that you know the attorney says, "No, my client's not going to sign that." Well, like, well, we sent it to you at the opening of escrow. Why are you telling us a day before closing that you're not going to send it to us now? That's a big pet peeve. Um, you know, we send you we send out the documents. Please just return them. Um, you know, don't wait till the last minute to get us what we need. Just keeping in mind that an escrow holder, you know, they they are juggling you know, 20 deals actively at a time. Um, an escrow holder is multitasking like crazy to juggle all that. Um, and so it's, you know, it's important to, you know, keep in mind that, that we're doing the best we can um, and, you know, that we are always, always, always governed by mutual instructions. Always governed by mutual instructions. So many times um, we have to deal with a attorney who is you know, uh, swearing left and right or, or being really nasty because we won't release money, you know, and it's, it's imperative to remember that an escrow is governed by mutual instructions. We can't be the judge and jury. You know, if the buyer says that he doesn't agree with what he signed in the contract, we're not the person to say that he's wrong. So we're just stuck.
0: In my practice uh, throughout the years, it was a common thing when an escrow opened that sometimes escrow officers would send out a timeline you know, and, and, or maybe, I don't know whether that's more of a residential practice, but also in commercial. And I've often thought, I mean, I think it's a great idea because you see the dates and everyone agrees on them in that way. You know, sometimes the dates run from signing or opening of escrow and there's some wiggle room and it's good to get everyone to agree to the dates up front. But sometimes I wonder if, do escrow, or escrow officers supposed to provide this service? Are they okay when you ask them to do that? And sometimes I, I think, well, you know, if they, if it's a 45, 50, 60 page purchase agreement on a lawyer form, you know, are they really uh, in a place to parse through this full agreement and figure out the timelines? What what would you say about that?
1: You know, there's kind of a bunch of facets to that where, where like you said, if it's a 60 page real estate uh, attorney uh, prepared contract, um, you know, for us here, we, we always tend to decide and let the agreement speak for itself, right? You don't want an escrow holder throwing stuff into the instructions that kind of muddy up what's already been pre-negotiated and the clients have spent money you know, with the attorneys preparing that document. So th- there are times where we'll just say, hey, here's our general provisions for you to acknowledge and let the agreement, the rest of it, speak for itself. Now, our general provisions always state that the purchase agreement governs uh, any conflict between our general provisions and purchase agreement so that the purchase agreement always prevails. But a lot of times though, especially with attorney contracts, it's pretty clear that, hey, here's the due diligence date, right? And so we'll, we'll go ahead and throw that in there. Um, date of agreement's confirmed to be this, and the due diligence date is this. But if the attorneys say, take it out, then we have no issue with that. That's, it's strictly, we throw dates in there, just kind of like a, a cliff notes for the clients so that they can refer back to. You know, Now, when it's just a broker-driven deal, um, they generally always like to have the dates plugged in there because they're using a standard form uh, contract that we can follow and we plug all the dates in for everybody, make sure everybody's on the same page, especially when you have a contract that perhaps uses the date of opening of escrow as opposed to date of agreement, because there is no defined term, unless it's defined in the purchase agreement itself, what the date of opening of escrow is. So unless it's clearly defined in the purchase agreement, which usually it's not, that's up to the parties to tell us, hey, what are you guys using as the date of opening of escrow? Is so it going to be the date we received the deposit, date we received the PSA, date we received the assigned supplemental escrow instructions, or is it all three? Um, and so that's important to then uh, confirm that with the parties and that clarified up front so everybody's on the same page. So it varies. Um, but at the end of the day, if the parties don't want us to say anything in regards to the dates, we can do that too.
0: And uh, I, I recall that uh, in, in more sophisticated contracts throughout the years, I would see uh, where there were sort of uh, a summary of escrow instructions in a lawyer form purchase agreement. And then at the end, after the signature blocks, there would be a escrow officer joinder where they're signing the agreement to agree to the uh, escrow instructions that are in the purchase agreement is that an old-fashioned thing, or is that still done? I know I've seen some lawyers, especially older lawyers, still do that. I Especially I saw someone recently try or want that in the agreement for a title company escrow in Nevada, and the escrow officer said, oh, no, we don't sign purchase agreements. We don't sign joiners anymore. What, what, what's the uh, position on that?
1: We see it still quite a bit, um, and I, I take no issue with signing it because it'll be – and most of the time, it's very specific to what section we're signing off on, or it's just signing, acknowledging receipt of the agreement itself, or, you know, or to say, you know, like I said, specifically to the escrow provisions in that agreement. And so as long as we read the agreement and make sure that there's nothing in that escrow section that we cannot comply with, um, then we have no issue signing it.
0: All right. Before we hang up, do you have any uh, particular war story? Any any crazy story? If I if I was sitting with you at the bar having a drink, about uh, in your in your history, has anything come to mind as being just uh, a wild closing? Every week, there seems like there's a wild closing. Um, You know, maybe our biggest
1: deal has probably been in in the three to four hundred million dollar range um and involving properties all over the us those can get pretty pretty wild because you're dealing with different title companies from all different states making sure everything's in order uh you've got multiple closing statements uh you know for each property you know last year we closed one that like that similar to that and and you know you take out a whole conference room just with documents all over the place uh when you've got 20 different properties in, in 20 different states um, all closing simultaneously—that can get pretty, pretty nuts. But honestly, I tell you, it's like it's like every day there's something, there's a wild closing. We're always under time constraints. The the thing with us is that we kind of herd everybody into uh, an organized closing where we don't have some wild west story where we're closing the back of a limo like my dad has from the 80s, right? Um, you know he has stories from back from things were more wild westish uh uh because you know they don't they didn't have the all the the laws in place or the ordinances in place or or the uh legislation in place were restricted things a lot uh like it does now um you know he has he has stories where they would close deals in the back of a limo and sign the deed right then and there and the attorney's in the limo and it's a closed done deal at that point i mean um and and now we're 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 just more uh uh, more, more by the book, you know, and I think that's just the, all the, the government regulations that, that have kind of streamlined that into not allowing that, that type of, of closing or that type of aspect to closings where you could, um, you know, for instance, like a cashier's check, you used to be able to close on a cashier's check, but now the banks don't, don't clear those. So it takes, you know, still seven to 10 business days even to clear a cashier's check where before, you know, you could come in and, and close right then and there on it. Um, That's about as crazy as it gets
0: are there any other minskis in the in the family that work at the business
1: nope just me i was i was the only minsky anyways from from my my mom and my dad (laughs) i (laughs) say there's no more
0: i say all right well i look forward to a third generation minsky perhaps at the escrow company maybe uh i hope i'm not still in the game to interview them when they're working (laughs) but uh yeah (laughs) well thanks thanks a lot for your time great talking to you today you got it
1: All right, thanks, Scott.